Good morning. Uh, my name is Emily McLaughlin. This is my husband, Ryan. And we are covenant partners here. And we have the honor of reading scripture this morning. This morning, we continue studying how songs of scripture shape the saints and through us shape the world, empowering believers to make joyful noise. Psalm 9 is a psalm of thanksgiving, shaping Christians to give thanks in all circumstances through genuine growth and understanding the gospel. God's word and God's finished work in Christ demonstrate God's faithfulness, fertilizer to grow more fruitful in thanksgiving. Please join me in reading God's word. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. All flesh is grass, and all of its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. or this one? I didn't think so. So I'm going to use the handheld mic. Is this better? All right. Some, some of you are probably wishing you can't hear me. So you're going to have to get over that. If you have a Bible, please keep it open to Psalm 9. Uh, you'll notice in your bulletin, there's room for you to take notes. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some that are on your pews in front of you. If you don't feel comfortable using paper, feel free uh, to use your phone or a Bible app, whatever the case may be. Our hope is uh, that as you worship the living God, that, that the Word of God uh, will be central and that the Spirit of God will conform us more into the image of God so that we might know him and his work more fully, that we might walk out of here to serve him more faithfully and fruitfully. So before we study the word of the Lord, will you go with me to the Lord of the word in prayer? Let's pray for his blessing together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you through studying your word. And we ask that you would move, remove the distractions of our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would ambush us with your love and that you would help us to be more deeply grounded in your grace in the gospel. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would meet us freshly. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive. We pray in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Uh, we do continue our summer series this morning, the songs of scripture that shape the saints. And, and we are, are looking in this second half of the series of the book of Psalms. And today we come to a, a very important theme. Uh, one that uh, the church has unfortunately lost our footing on. And that is the theme of thanksgiving. It's almost as if the, the enemy has attacked the Christian storehouses and the shipping lanes of gratitude and there's a famine of thanksgiving among God's people. And we're going to see this morning how, how a deeper understanding of the word and work of God help us to have solid footing on the ground of God's grace, that gratitude, that thanksgiving can really grow from our hearts. 
Our temptation uh, when we come to worship and, and approach a psalm of thanksgiving is to, to believe that God somehow needs our thanks. But this is not the case. God gives you an invitation by his grace to grow in thanksgiving. This is, this is for us, his people. And let me illustrate that if you uh, know um, uh, scripture, uh, uh, then you're probably familiar with Philippians 4, when Paul talks about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. This is an example of how gratitude, how thanksgiving is for us. In a world of anxiety, if, if you may not struggle with anxiety, but I guarantee you know someone who does, someone in your family or a friend, Thanksgiving is actually the seedbed that God gives us from which the fruit of peace grows. Philippians chapter 4 says, uh, With thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. That is just one example of many through Scripture of how thanksgiving is actually a gift for you. It's a gift for me. God doesn't need our thanksgiving. He gives it to us to free us for the life that he's designed us for. Now, Scripture actually uh, just proves out what science has proven in studies of gratitude. Now, not now, but later you can Google. There's lots of different uh, studies that have happened with gratitude. It's been scientifically proven that, that a heart of thankfulness, that, that gratitude, it actually increases your mental health. Did you know this? Because we grow in a discipline of focusing on good things in our life. Uh, it's true scientifically that studies have shown it, that thanksgiving actually increases your physical health. It, it, it minimizes our anxieties so much so that our blood pressure lowers. It's, it's been studied. Also, fruit of grateful, thankful hearts, scientifically proven, is improved marriages, improved relationships. And if you are vocationally involved or if you're a student at all, if you work, uh, then you would be very interested in a lot of the studies that are out there on how gratitude increases your enjoyment of work and your productivity. So, People have studied gratitude, and just by looking at those studies, we would see that it's probably a good thing to understand it more. But more than that, Scripture invites us to, to live a more full and fruitful and abundant life through studying Thanksgiving. Now, as I prepared for this, uh, I read different uh, journals and books, articles, passages, and I came across something that was fascinating to me. Uh, Maybe you've heard of Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin, he was an evil, autocratic dictator in Russia who was responsible literally for the murder of millions of people. And he publicly and explicitly saw gratitude as a disease. Uh, he saw it as a sickness that, quote, was suffered by dogs and a poisoning of society. You see, the enemy literally wants to further death, discouragement, depression, uh, derailing your faith and my faith by killing places where gratitude can grow. But God wants to bless his people, and he gives us lyrics 
from this psalm to help us grow in thanksgiving. And they're centered on knowing him and his work. If you're not a Christian here today, then, then I hope that you will join uh, G.K. Chesterton. He was a, a, a theologian, a writer. He came to Christ when he was 48 years old, and he has a classic line, maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, on how gratitude actually led him to know God personally. He said this, The worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful, but he has no one to thank. We can all identify with that. And the Christian has the opportunity to enjoy God with specificity. Naming specific things we're thankful for. To a specific person who's given them to us, Jesus Christ. And now, you're not going to walk out of here. There are some great things you can walk out of here with. I'm not going to give you a to-do list. I'm going to say, go meditate on it. Go make a list of things you're grateful for. Uh, Go start journaling and and keep track of stuff. Make sure you're praying and all this stuff more. That's all good stuff. But the truth is that if you walk out of worship with just a to-do list and you don't know the one to whom we're grateful to, then the sustainability of our transformation is, is temporary. And what the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us, it gives us this secure soil and God's steadfast love, his finished work that, that frees us, the fertilizer of his faithfulness grows in us. Gratitude and thanksgiving. And we see it right when we look down at this passage. We're going to look at the whole passage today, but we're going to focus on the first two verses. So if you'd look down and I'm going to relook at what Ryan read. Uh, he, notice when we read these verses, I want you to notice something. Notice the choice that is made and articulated by the psalmist by the re- repetition of the word, words, I will. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name O most high God. You see, the sustainable uh, ways that we can grow in gratitude is really being grounded in wonder at God's work and God's word. This is where gratitude grows in our heart because our circumstances change. Sometimes our struggle is so intense that we, we really don't have capacity to take time and journal And we need something deeper than our own actions that can bear the fruit of thanksgiving. The first thing he says, I will give thanks with my whole heart. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever tried to train a child to be grateful. Have you done this? Have you you tried to train a a child or a grandchild when, when they receive something? What are they supposed to do to the person who gave it? Now, say thank you. Make sure you say thank you. And there's nothing more awkward than a four-year-old kid who's been giving something they don't like and they give a half-hearted thank you to the person that gave it, right? Well, go ahead. Thank them for that broccoli processor you got. Uh, Thank you. And the person who gave it says, you're welcome. There's nothing more awkward than a half-hearted 
thank you. So how do we inhabit what the psalmist says, I will give thanks with my whole heart? Uh, The implication is that somehow God has done something that has affected our whole heart in our work. And this is the focus of redemption because the work of God is, is never about a list that we check off so that we can know him. The Christian faith and even the Old Testament faith, it never begins with your work for God. It always begins with God's work for us. And there's famous passages in the New Testament epistles, not least of which is Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, where Paul says, whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you say, well, Mitchell, that sounds like Paul's just telling me something to do. It sounds like an imperative and a command, and it is, but it doesn't begin there. If you've read the book of Colossians, then you know he celebrates the reality of redemption, and he does so in just comprehensive ways. We're going to hit the second part of chapter 1 in a minute, but you might be familiar with Colossians 1, verses 12 to 14, where Paul says that God has qualified you. He's qualified you, the Christian, to, to share in the inheritance of the Father. Well, how's he done that? By ripping you from the domain of darkness and transplanting you in the kingdom of God's beloved Son, verse 14, through whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, God does all the work by taking us out of darkness and putting us into light, by transplanting us into the kingdom of, of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, the Bible teaches, he gives us a new heart. Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. He gives us a new spirit. And by his spirit, by the new heart we receive, we can give wholehearted thankfulness. And Paul will go on in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He says that wholeheartedness is actually for every situation that we should give thanks in all things. God's word and his work in Christ give us wholehearted, not half-hearted place of thankfulness. The second thing we see, uh, this commitment that we make to give thanks, uh, the second part of verse one, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds, the wonderful works of God. I wonder if... God's work is so overwhelming to you or to me that we find ourselves needing to share them with others, to recount them. This word for the wonderful work or the deeds of God, it's actually one word in Hebrew. And it always refers to God's work on behalf of his people. It can refer comprehensively, like the exodus, the wonderful work of God when the Israel was freed from slavery. Or it's referred to it with specificity when they crossed the Red Sea, the, the wonderful work that God saved his people. Um, it's interesting that you may or may not know this, but if you have a Bible, you can turn. This is kind of fun to see. I'm just going to read it in Acts chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, when the Holy Spirit fell on the church at Pentecost. Uh, We often 
times rightly associate that with the birth of the church. But uh, I just want to read this and have it tied. Sorry, my notes, uh, my, my ribbon fell out earlier. But Acts chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own language what? The mighty works of God. When the Holy Spirit fell on the church, what was it that began to spill forth from the mouth of the people filled with the Spirit? They talked about the wonderful works of God. Herman Bavink, uh, who wrote a, a, a systematic theology that's uh, put together in a book called The Wonderful Works of God. It's centered on this verse, and, and it comes from uh, this passage, uh, Psalm 9. He, here's what he says. The Spirit was poured out precisely so the church would come to know these works of God, to glory in them and, pay attention, to thank and praise God for them. The Christian faith is the recognition of the work of God. It's a work that began at the dawn of time and continues to this age. We have the opportunity to grow in gratitude by recounting the wonderful works of God. But this is not where it stops. He goes on and in verse 2, he says, I will be glad and exult in God. Now, gladness is a heart posture that doesn't remove sadness from the world. Gladness is something that, that goes beyond our circumstances because it's rooted in a greater reality. And I'm not sure if you've ever been into a place where there is extreme suffering or extreme poverty and you've met people who don't have the material blessings that we have in our church and, and really in our country, and they have a deep joy that impacts you, and they seem to be thankful even in the midst of struggle and suffering. Have you ever been in a place like that? I've been to several, and I'll never forget going to a place called Kabira, which is a slum in Nairobi. Newsweek called it, quote, the worst place on earth. And there was a church in the midst of the slum, uh, Pastor Mbumi Makuku was his name. And uh, you had to walk through sewage to get to it. Uh, you had to pay gang members to cross certain areas to get to it. Um, and going into this church with Mbumi uh, and a team from the United States, uh, I'll never forget hearing the song. Yeshua kiwa nzini mambo sawa sawa mambo sawa sawa mambo sawa sawa Swahili When Jesus is on the throne things already better things already better things already better This time with what Newsweek called the worst place on earth when I met Christians there they were actually giving to me. They had this gladness of heart that superseded their circumstances. And they weren't grumbling because life was rough. They were grateful because God had saved them and, and he was redeeming. I will be glad and exult. And the last thing that we see in these first two verses is the psalmist saying, I will sing praise. I will make 
a joyful noise. It's this invitation. What we talked about last week when we, when we looked at uh, Psalm 95 in the wilderness generation, this invitation that God's grace undragons us. It makes us more human. So the priority of our life, the priority of our focus, the priority of everything that we live by is the praise of God himself. Not because somehow God needs it, but because truly our chief end is humans. We're created to know and worship God and enjoy him. That's his divine design. And it makes us more human to choose to sing praise to our God who has saved us. It's only when we understand this framework that we can begin to comprehend the sustainability of having a heart of gratitude, of truly embracing thanksgiving. In a world where there is a lot of heartache and the headlines give us headaches, right? There is a place where, where Paul says through gospel power in Ephesians 5.19 that we can give thanks for everything. There is a reality in 1 Thessalonians 5 where we can give thanks in all circumstances. How? When we understand the word and the work of God. Now, uh, we've studied before the gospel of Luke You'll remember in Luke 17 when Jesus healed 10 lepers. You remember this? 10 lepers he healed. And he commanded all of them, he said, go to the high priests and offer a sacrifice for purification. Because you've moved from uncleanliness to cleanliness. And of those 10 lepers, do you remember how many came back to Jesus to give thanks? One. One person was not distracted by their new circumstances. One person was not distracted by their reclaimed social status. One person was not overwhelmed by the now financial opportunity, the economic opportunity, the social opportunity that lied before them. One person understood that the word of God that was commanded by Jesus to go and offer the sacrifice deserved that the work of God of healing would be that he would come back and thank the one who did it. And what does Jesus say? I don't know if you remember in verse 19. He says, rise and go your way, for your faith has made you well. Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And isn't that what your heart hungers for? I long to be whole. I long to be made well. And the picture is of specific gratitude where we go back to the giver in response to his word, in response to his work, and we give thanks. These conscious choices of of giving thanks, of recounting the wonderful works of God, of being glad instead of grumbling and, and choosing to sing praise to God. These conscious choices will begin to cultivate thanksgiving. And, and this is where we're launched into the rest of the psalm. We don't have time to go into all the nitty-gritty detail, but you should note that these choices that the psalmist makes here, 
actually give birth to a whole reasoning, a theophany of why God, uh, his work actually of salvation actually grows gratitude in our hearts. Here's a few things that we see. If you look at verses three to six, you see that gratitude grows when we celebrate God's rule over the wicked and the wickedness of the world. We're not going to read all of it, but if you just look down to verse six, the enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out and the very memory of them has perished. This comprehensive victory of God, the removal of enemies, you heard Ben uh, talk about um, in uh, the call to confession, that the Greek word for it, like finish, the completion, to telestai, right? That, that God's work has made an end to our sin. And on the cross, you remember Jesus saying, uh, it is finished, John 19, verse 30. It is finished. You, you don't have to pay anymore for your sin. It's finished. You, you, God's not angry at you anymore if your faith is in Christ. It's finished. The, the wages of sin is death, but it's finished. Jesus died on the cross. You don't have to earn God's favor anymore. It's finished. Jesus has done all the work we need to do. But we live in a world where it sure looks like the enemies of God are winning. It sure looks like death reigns. And the wicked rule, it sure looks like those who cheat and cut corners actually climb to the top quicker. It sure looks like that it is, we're going to be better off if we just go with dropping any standard for truth and we just live in a world where if it feels good, how could it be wrong, right? Your truth is anybody's truth, that's fine. Let's just go with that so we don't cause any conflict because it looks like that the absence of truth, the removal of truth, uh, that's actually a safe place for us to go. But it's interesting. If you read scripture, uh, what the psalmist celebrates here, it goes beyond it is finished. It takes us all the way to Revelation chapter 16, verse 17. When we see this picture that John shares with us of the wrath of God finishing the judgment of God on the wicked of the world and all of their wickedness. This completion of judgment that will come for all whose faith is not in Christ who took the judgment of our sin. If your faith is not in Christ, the wrath of God's coming. And it's interesting, this line, it grabbed me in my studies this week. God says from the throne room, It is done. It's done. The wicked will not have power. The Stalins of the world who hate gratitude, those that are waging war, those that are uh, trafficking people, those who are uh, using illicit trades of weapons for child soldiers in Africa or illicit trade of drugs to to make millions of dollars off of people's addictions, those who are victims of injustice at the hands of perpetrators, like God will judge them. It is so sure that the wicked will be defeated that God says in present tense, it is done. The enemy 
Psalm 9, verse 6, came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities, their strongholds uprooted and the very memory of them have perished. You see, the promise of the gospel is that there is a world where there is no more death, no more dying, no more suffering, where the old order has passed away and the new will come. God is king. God is our refuge. He's our stronghold and he's our restorer. The the next thing that we see, uh, and we're just going to run through gratitude growing when we celebrate God's authority applied to the broken world. Look at verse 13 and 14, just the second half of 13. He says, O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. You see, the Christian knows, listen to this, that all God allows in our lives, he will redeem. The Christian knows that in our broken places of our heart and our stories, God is working glory. That it's true that he's making all things new. It is true that he is working all things according to the counsel of his will. It is true that what the enemy intends for evil, God means for good. It's true that for those who are in Christ Jesus, he is working things for our good and his glory. And so gratitude grows when we celebrate God's authority over our broken world. And finally, the last thing that we see is that gratitude grows when we celebrate God's work personally in verses 11 to 14 and globally. You can read about that later, uh, but for now, hear me say this, that when the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 talks about the salvation we have in Christ, that we've been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son through whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. He immediately goes into the comprehensive rule and reign of King Jesus. We want to know who is this king whose kingdom we've been ripped into. And this is how Paul answers the question. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. God in Christ is reconciling all things to himself through the cross. And if you know him, you celebrate his work personally. And you trust that he is working globally. And then all sad things, to use the imagery of Tolkien, all sad things will become untrue in Christ. So that we can have a sustainable soil from which a ground that that gratitude and thanksgiving can grow. And yes, we, we need to journal. 
And yes, we need to meditate and pray. And yes, we need to tell others about the amazing things that God has done. And yes, we even need to write thank you notes. But the focus is never on our work. That's not where gratitude grows. The focus begins and always needs to remain on what God has done for his people. The personal work of God through Jesus and the reality of his rule over everything. That is where psalms of thanksgiving begin to shape the saints. And friends, the world needs to see a people who are changed by authentic gratitude and thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and your work. We ask that you would drive home by the power of your Holy Spirit what it means to truly be thankful to you, through you, in you, that your kingdom might come and your will might be done and all of our, what we say with our lips, all of what we do with our lives and engage with our labor, that your love would be made known. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.